Well, good morning. I hope you're all doing well this morning. Uh, we are, this morning, we're going to continue our series that we've been in for the last couple of months called Created for Good Works. And we are going to look this morning at the example of Esther and the importance, um, or maybe even a better way of saying it than importance, the, the duty that we actually have as followers of Christ to leverage our position for the purposes of God. And I think it's one of those things that we would all agree, if I took a poll of the room, we could do it right now, if I, if I took a poll of the room, we would agree that the entirety of our lives should be leveraged or arranged for God's purposes. Fair? Fair. Yeah. Okay, I see one hand. I see we all agree with that, but our entire life should be leveraged for God's purposes. But while it's very easy for us to assert that all of life should be lived for Jesus, it's an entirely more challenging thing for us to zoom in and consider whether or not that is actually the case for our lives by examining whether it's true of us in each position that we hold. You see, we all wear different hats. For me, I am a husband, I am a father, I'm a pastor, I'm a friend, I'm a son, I'm a brother, and how I am living for God's purposes in each of those positions is going to look a little bit different. Each of us wear different hats. We hold different positions in life. And we have the opportunity as well as the necessity to arrange or leverage each aspect of life for the sake of Jesus. And so to examine whether we are leveraging our positions for Christ, it involves asking some questions. Like, am I or how am I leveraging my position in the workplace for the purposes of God? How am I leveraging my position in my home for the purposes of God? How am I using my position in my neighborhood or in my friendships for the purposes of God? It's these kinds of questions and a willingness to answer them and make changes where necessary that will lead to a follower of Jesus living with everything that we are and everything that we have for him. You know, one of the challenges that Christians face, and it's not a new challenge, it's been around for so long, as long as there has been followers of Christ, the challenge is figuring out how do we live for the purposes of God in absolutely everything. Right? There's a tendency, and it's especially seen when it comes to the workplace, in our culture, to leave our Christianity at the door. Right? We go into work, we kind of put our Christianity to the side, and then we work our shift, and then we pick it back up when we finish our work day. And the reason why this happens is because we have a generally weak theology of work and how it relates to the call for us to do all things unto the Lord. We also tend to have a weak theology of suffering in our culture that results in remaining quiet in the face of difficult circumstances and potential opposition where we decide it's maybe best not to make our faith known. And I believe that it's time for us to stop living like that. 
As followers of Jesus, it is time for us to stop living like that. We have to stop hiding. We have to stop leaving our Christianity at the door. And we need to start leveraging every position that we have for Jesus Christ. And it should always have been this way. It should always have been like this. But this morning, I just felt this urgency to say that now is the time. Now is the time to step out. Because I can only speak for my lifetime, the last 38 years. But of those years, well, I didn't really know the first five. But of those years, like the last five to seven years, what we have seen with this rapid moral decline, this rapid increase of embracing and celebrating and furthering that which is wicked and evil, it is moving at a dizzying pace. And I think that most of us would agree with that. The focused efforts to enslave, to destroy, to compel, to silence, to delegitimize, to indoctrinate and confuse, the attempts to destabilize institutions, to completely denormalize the traditional family, to prop up corruption, to push blatantly false narratives, and most of all, to target children should remind every single one of us that we are in a battle. And that battle has intensified, and those ransomed by God through Jesus Christ, we have been called onto the front lines of this battle that is not against flesh and blood, but against the powers and the principalities over this present darkness. And the Lord who knows the beginning from the end has placed us here and now to be light and to be salt and to push back against that which is evil that is taking over our society. Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.4, No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. In order for us not to get entangled in civilian pursuits, we must understand whatever positions we hold in life have been given to us for the glory of God and the good of others. And our aim has to be to leverage those positions for God's purposes. And here's the thing that I know to be true. We already know how to leverage our positions. For the most part, we know how to do it. It's that we often don't do it for God. We do it for ourselves. We are excellent at leveraging our positions in order to obtain our own desires. But our desires should not be our end goal anymore. We are to die to our desires so that we may live for what God wants in and through our lives. This is what Jesus taught his disciples to pray when he taught them the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. He teaches us in verse 10 of Matthew 6, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, when we pray that, 
It should not be a passive prayer. It is not one of those things where we go to our Father in heaven and say, God, your will be done, your kingdom come, and then we sit back and hope that he accomplishes it through some other third party. When we pray that prayer, it is a desire of our heart, but it is also an invitation for ourselves to be a part of God's kingdom coming and a part of his will being done on earth. Because it is through spirit-filled people, it is through the church that God has ordained, that God has chosen to do the majority of his work on this earth. And so we pray your will be done. We pray your kingdom come. And it should first and foremost come with an expectation that it has to start in our lives. It has to start with me if I'm going to pray, Lord, your will be done. Your kingdom come. I better be looking at myself first. Because it's going to be through my life that he's going to impact the rest of the world. It's going to be through your life that he impacts the world. It's going to be through his church collectively that he makes a difference in the world. We are his ambassadors. He has chosen us to accomplish much of his purposes. And we have to understand that means we have to leverage every position that he has given us for the kingdom of God. If we don't, we are ultimately missing the whole point of why God put us in the positions that we have in the first place. And each one of us has to wrestle out what that looks like, what that means for our life, what it means in our workplaces, what it means in our homes, what it means in our neighborhood, what it means here in this congregation. And so with that said, I want to look at this idea of leveraging our position through the story of Esther. So let's, let's pray together. Father, Lord, I ask this morning that you would allow us a glimpse and an understanding into your purposes for each and every one of us and for us as a church. Father, I pray that as we look at the word, we look at the example of Esther, and we see how she used her position to impact your people, that we would understand that whether it's in the home, whether it's in the workplace, whether it's in our neighborhood, wherever you have us, we have the same kind of call. That we're to use our position for your glory, for the furthering of your kingdom. There's no greater purpose that we have in this world. And so, Father, I pray that that we could just kind of put aside the distractions and recognize that there is a greater purpose behind where you have us. And Lord, that we would step into it willingly, as difficult as it might be, knowing that you are with us in all things and that there is a battle raging in this world and we are desperately needed. Your truth is desperately needed. So give us boldness, Lord. Give us courage. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so as we dig into this story of Esther, I'm going to give you some of the background and some of the storyline of Esther to bring us up to chapter 4 
where we're going to zoom in on the text. Uh, so just some background in case you need it. The book of Esther takes place uh, about 100 years after the Babylonian exile. Uh, and so upon the completion of the exile years, many Jews returned back to their homeland and rebuilt and reestablished their culture. And this is what we see recorded in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. But there were also a large number of Jews who remained in foreign lands, and the book of Esther covers the events surrounding one such community of Jews, a community of Jews that remained in the city of Susa, which is the capital city of the Persian Empire. And so the book of Esther, it opens with King Ahasuerus. In some of your Bibles, if you have a different translation than ESV, it may name him King Xerxes. It just depends on whether your Bible uses his Persian name, which is Xerxes, or his Hebrew name, which is Ahasuerus. And so King Ahasuerus decides that he's going to put on a banquet, or two banquets to be exact. And Esther chapter 1 verse 4 gives us the reason that he's throwing these banquets. It tells us that he showed the riches of his glory and the splendor and pomp of his greatness for many days, 180 days. So basically the king was showing off. That's what he was doing. He was just showing off. On the last day of the, priest, uh, of the feast, the king requested his wife Vashti to attend the celebration because he wanted to show off her beauty to all of his guests. But Vashti refused to go and, and entertain the king's request. And so this angered the king. And he was drunk. And in his drunken rage, he removed Vashti from her position as queen and decided that she would be replaced by another woman. And in order to find a new wife, the king basically puts on a beauty pageant. And he asks for all of the beautiful women in the, in the country to come. And it's at this point that Esther and Mordecai enter the story. Mordecai and Esther are part of the Jewish community living in Susa. And Mordecai was Esther's uncle. He had taken over uh, as the role of Esther's dad because her parents had died and he had raised her from a young child. Esther was this beautiful young woman. And it was because of her beauty that she was taken into the king's palace to be a part of the group of young women whom the king would choose from to be his queen. And Esther 2.17 tells us how Esther made out in this venture. It says the king loved Esther more than all the women. And she won grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins, so that he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. So Esther goes from this unknown Jewish girl to being the queen of Persia. That's a pretty significant transformation in Esther's life. And around the same time that this happened, her uncle Mordecai happened to be sitting around the king's gate, and he happened to overhear a couple of guards plotting to kill the king. And so Mordecai, when he heard this, he relayed the news to Esther, who was in her new position as queen, told her this plot to destroy the king, and she shared it with him, and then the, the men who were plotting against the king were killed. And so Mordecai saved the king's life. Now I want to pause here for a moment because there's this interesting feature about the book of Esther, which makes the unfolding of these two events as well as events all throughout the book kind of interesting. You'll notice if you read through the book of Esther, God is never mentioned. He's not mentioned once, which is kind of unusual for a book in God's Word. Right? But God is not mentioned at all in the book of Esther. 
But what you can see throughout the book of Esther as the story progresses is God's hand amidst the unfolding events where circumstances occur that are orchestrated by God, though he's not actually talked about directly. And that reflects a reality in our lives. That even when God is not explicitly seen or seemingly distant, he is at work. He is present and he is working through our lives. God is constantly acting in and through our lives, whether we recognize he is or not. And so through the providence of God, Esther is installed as queen. Mordecai exposes the plot to kill the king. And these two events would be the catalyst of their lives and the lives of the Jewish community that God would use, even though none of them knew of it yet, that God would use as part of his plan to save the entire Jewish community from death. At this point in the story, an Agagite named Haman enters. And Haman is elevated by the king to the highest position in the land. And in honor of his position, the king commanded all of the people to bow before Haman. But Mordecai refused to revere Haman, and that enraged him. And Haman found out that Mordecai was an Israelite. And so to get back at Mordecai, Haman persuaded the king to write a decree to destroy not just Mordecai, but all of the Jewish people in the land, simply because Mordecai wouldn't bow to him. In Esther 3 verse 9, it says, "If, If it please the king, this is Haman speaking, If it please the king, let it be decreed that they be destroyed. And I will pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who have charge of the king's business, that they may put it into the king's treasuries. And so even though the king is the richest man in the country, in the nation, Haman comes and says, I'll, I'll make you even richer if you make this decree. And the king says yes. And so it tells you what kind of man the king is. Haman bribes him with money in order to do this. And Esther is unaware of this plan. But Mordecai and the Jewish community find out about it, and they're devastated. Mordecai learned what had been done, and he knew he had to get a message to Esther, because she was the only one in a position to do something about it. Mordecai was about to urge Esther to leverage the position that she held in order to save her people. We're going to look at the text of the conversation between the two of them. And what I want to do is just pull out some important things for our own lives. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in verse 7 of chapter 4 and go from there. Esther sent one of her eunuchs named Hathak to see Mordecai in order to find out what's happening, what is going on. And Mordecai says, or it says in verse 7, and Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction, that he might show it to Esther and explain to her and command her to go to the king to beg his favor and plead with him on behalf of her people. So Mordecai told Hathak, Tell Esther, command Esther to use her position to save her people. Now, this meant a few things for Esther. And one of the things that it meant 
is that she would have to expose her identity as a Jewish woman. Up to that point, at the urging of Mordecai, Esther had kept her identity hidden. She had not identified with her people. But now, Mordecai instructed her, reveal yourself as a Jewish woman to the king so that he would understand that his decree isn't only affecting a group of people, it is affecting his queen herself. And here's the thing. That may be the first step that some of us need to take in leveraging our positions. Are we identifying with God's people? Or are we remaining hidden in some aspects of our life? For some of you, that may be the first step. To finally stand forward. Say, I am a follower of Jesus. And stop hiding. We are called out, we are a called out people. Right? We are called to be salt. We are called to be light. We are ransomed to be ambassadors. We are ransomed to be witnesses. And all of those things are contrary to remaining hidden. You cannot hide and be an ambassador. You cannot hide and be salt and light and all of these things that we're called to be. Jesus himself says in Matthew 5, 14 and 15, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. For some of us, we have remained hidden in the positions that we hold. We have not let our light shine, and it is time to step out and be the light that we are called to be. And for some of us, that will mean in our workplaces. For some of us, it will mean in our friendships. For some of us, it may even mean in our own homes. I can't tell you what it looks like for you, but the Holy Spirit will. Even in this moment, the Holy Spirit will speak to you about where that place is for you that you got to stop hiding. It was not an easy decision for Esther. But important and impactful decisions rarely are easy. And Esther shared her predicament with Mordecai regarding what this could mean for her if she stepped out. Verse 11. She says, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come into the king these 30 days. So for Esther to step out, for Esther to be the salt and to be the light, to be the help that her people needed, she had to face this hurdle. Access to the king was restricted under threat of death unless you were invited. And though Esther was queen, the rule was no different for her than any other man or woman in the kingdom. Unless she's summoned, she is not to enter the inner court under threat of death. And she was saying to Mordecai, well, 
he hasn't even called me for the last month. I haven't heard from him in a month. I don't even know if I still have his favor. So Esther had to decide in that moment a very real decision. Her safety, her comfort, or her people's lives. Would she protect herself? Or would she protect her people? You know, one commentator writes, her dilemma is at some time the dilemma of all of us. Circumstances hem us in and demand that we commit ourselves to act courageously and exercise faith. Mordecai's response to Esther's predicament reveals why we must leverage our positions for God. Mordecai responds to her predicament in verse 12. He says, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent in this time, Relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Mordecai, in his response to Esther's predicament, gives Esther three arguments for why she should respond, for why she should step out. And there are three principles that I think are relevant for our lives as well. His first argument is, Esther, you will not escape more than any other Jew. You may prolong it, but you're not going to escape it. And I'll tell you, if you're a follower of Christ, you can maybe prolong what might be coming. You can prolong persecution. You can prolong hardship, but you're not going to escape it. Jesus has told us this is the case. So Esther can choose to remain quiet and not identify herself with her people, but ultimately she's not going to escape the hardship that's coming. We cannot expect the hardships that brothers and sisters in Christ are facing around the world and the increased pressure that is coming against us in our culture not to miss us. It's going to get us at some point. It's not going to pass over us. Especially those who have children. Right now, and what is being pushed in our culture is what is being pushed in our world. They're coming for our kids. So if you have kids, you have skin in this game. They are going to have to deal with so much more than we've had. We cannot expect to sit idly by and think we will escape the wickedness of our world, and it will leave us unscathed. No. It is time to recognize that we cannot escape unscathed, and we have to step into this battle that the Lord has for us, and do our part in it, and identify with our brothers and sisters in Christ, and stop hiding. 
Argument number two, he says to her. He says, deliverance will come from elsewhere, but you and your house will perish. That's a, that's a really strong warning from Mordecai. You see, Mordecai trusted deliverance would come because God is faithful. God's purposes are not held back by our failure to act. God will find another. We see that in his word. This is what Mordecai is saying. Esther, it's up to you. But even if you don't, deliverance is going to come from somewhere else. God is going to do his purposes whether you step into it or not. But what's going to happen to you is you're going to suffer loss because you didn't. And I think that's a principle that you and I have to understand. There are things that God wants to do through our lives. And if we refuse to step into them, he'll find someone else to do it. But it's us who suffer loss. And then argument number three. He just says basically to Esther, this is the very reason God put you here. This is the very reason why you hold this position as Queen Esther. And some of us have to recognize that. The very reason why we hold the positions that we hold is because of the purposes that God wants to use us for in those positions for His kingdom. Like sometimes we will chase after things in life and we'll be so selfish chasing after them and God will let us have them. But even if he does, it's not for you. It's for him. It says, who knows whether you have come into the kingdom for such a time as this. And I just believe that that's the case for everyone. God knows what he's doing. He placed you at this time in this culture. You didn't choose that. God chose that. He placed you at this time in this culture, in this place, because he has something for you to do for his purposes. There's no accident there. And so we can say that about our own lives. Are we not here for such a time as this? And the answer is yes, absolutely we are. And so from Mordecai's response to Esther, she sends a message back to him. And what does she say? She says, okay, go, Mordecai, go and gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold, hold a fast on my behalf and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. That's amazing. Like Esther's not being fatalistic there, saying, well, if I perish, I perish. That is a, a stance and a, a saying of great faith. It's like, I'm going to step into this because I know that it's right. I know that it's the right thing to do. And if I perish, I perish. 
Like, that's the kind of faith that we need to have, especially with where our world is going. We have to have that kind of faith. Say, I'm going to stand up for what is right. And if people come against me, people come against me. I'm going to stand up for what is true. And if people hate me, people hate me. Jesus already told me it would happen. Like, this is the the moment that we're living in now. This is the cultural moment that we live in now as followers of Christ. Be prepared to be hated. See, we're going into this space in our culture. I strongly believe that followers of Jesus will be so hated and yet so needed like we haven't experienced for many, many years, especially in my lifetime. We are going into a space where people will simultaneously hate us immensely and need us so deeply like they've never recognized before. And you will experience both, but only if you step into it. For some of us, being courageous like this just means in our own home. You know, I find one of the things that that pains me sometimes is I find that I can drop the ball with my own kids in raising them up and preparing them for this. But like one of, the, one of the courageous things that we can do is prepare our children. Like to teach them the worldviews that are going to be coming against them. To teach them the lies that they are constantly going to be faced with. Like one of the greatest things we have, the greatest privileges we have, is to raise up the next generation. To continue this fight for truth and love and the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I urge you, this morning, what does it mean for you to look like Esther? What does it mean for you to look like Esther in your workplace? What does it mean for you to look like Esther in your neighborhood, in your home, with your spouse, with your kids, with your friends, with the stranger on the street? What does it look like? It takes courage, but it's time for all of us to step into that. Let's pray. Father, one of the greatest assurances that we have as followers of Christ is that you will never leave us. What an amazing promise that you have said you will not leave us and you will not forsake us. God, you've promised us (laughs) if you are for us, who can be against us? Come on, like, that's amazing. If you are for us, who can be against us? Nothing can stand in the truth of Jesus. And Father, I thank you for Jesus. Father, I thank you for that truth that we have come to know, that through Christ we can be redeemed, that through Christ we are sons and daughters of the Almighty God, that you have called us heirs with Jesus. And if we are called heirs with Jesus and sons and daughters of God, then Who can come against us, God? And I pray, Lord, that right now, in this moment, in this church, that you would raise up Esthers. Lord, that you would raise up men and women, especially young men and women. That you would raise them up, that they would have a boldness of faith. That they would have a courage of faith. That they would understand that you have called them forth for this time. 
that they have been called forth to be your ambassadors, to be your light, to be your salt, to bring unto this earth the truth that is so desperately needed. To speak of this kingdom to those who are lost and break down strongholds, to free captives. This is what Jesus does. And so, Lord, I pray that your people, that we would step into this purpose, that we would understand in all things there's a battle, and it is not against people. It is against the powers and the principalities over this darkness. God, may we always recognize that our battle is against our enemies. Shall we not hate people? Shall we see brokenness and call them unto repentance and love them deeply and banish the darkness that ensues in this place? Father, I pray for every heart in here, Lord, your will be done. May your kingdom come. May we be obedient to what you call us to. Thank you, Lord, for lifting us up out of the muck and the mire. You gave us a purpose, and it is a mighty one. May we step into it. In Jesus' name, amen.